This is Radical Love Live, where we explore spirituality outside the boxes. Hey, fellow spiritual beings, it's Mark. And this is Kelly with Radical Love Live. Hey, everybody, I'm Mark Delcom. I'm Kelly Wilson. And this is Radical Love Live. Today, we have the awesome Jay Baker with us on the uh, phone to uh, talk about faith, spirituality, and exploring spirituality outside of the boxes. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. Awesome. Great to have you here. We've been following online Revolution Church and following all the stuff that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about your church and what makes it different than other churches we might have been to? Well, we started, gosh, in 1994, basically realizing that we were all part of this church and realizing like all these punk rocker kids and skate kids and hippie kids were all kind of like hanging outside and falling through the cracks and so a few of us just started tried decided to start a church together for those folks of course it's evolved quite a bit over the years started in arizona and then i was in atlanta for quite a few years and then seven years in brooklyn new york and now i've been in minneapolis for about seven years um what separates us from other churches i mean a lot i guess we're not a normal church most of our congregation are online we, wow, that's that's pretty different. Um, do you have like yeah. a, like a group that's inside the building with you, and then you're also connecting with people that are online? Yeah, and we started doing that, man, 15, 16 years ago. And I mean, we would literally record from audio, I mean, onto a like a cassette tape when we first started. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> and then go put it on a computer. Um, I had a buddy who was just a computer guy and knew about it, and I don't even think they were called podcasts at the time <laughs> yeah this is probably pre-podcast yeah <laughs> yeah so it kind of just really like kind of took off for us so that's a big part of it we meet in a bar slash bowling alley which is like a little theater in the back of this bowling alley that we meet in <laughs> and we've met in bars for i guess mm, 15 years would you say you're is... one of the uh, first to uh, to do that maybe yeah, yeah. yeah. i yeah. mean there's a good chance i mean at least in the states yeah. you know i think there was like pub bars and Europe and stuff like that. And and how it happened really is funny. It wasn't like this premeditated thing. We had just met in different places. We met in a church for a while. We met in a coffee shop for a while. And then we were just losing our space. And we were just such part of the community in Atlanta that this bar found out and just said, hey, why don't you come meet here? And we were like, that would be great. And wow. So, it was actually a, a nightclub. Yeah. So Wow. With the yeah. disco ball? Oh, yeah. They had the whole thing. It was right three on. levels, heaven, hell, and purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The name of the club was The Masquerade. And, wow. Uh, cool space yeah. for all this. Oh, yeah. It's weird because I was doing church the same place I would see, like, The Misfits or Social Distortion <laughs> or, you know, something like that. You awesome. know, so it was in awesome. a place where I had partied quite a bit of my youth at. So it was, um, mm. so it was interesting to, to do that, you know, and, um, Wow, was there anything that you had to make amends that you did inside that club? You're like, wow, this is wild. <laughs> Probably a few things. Actually. Oh my! Um, <laughs> I'll never forget one day we showed up for a service and there were these like pamphlets for like these um, these things basically used for sex. They're like you know like pillows for sex, you know. Oh, pillows and, for uh, sex. Yeah, so you know they're in all these different shapes, and they're like just pamphlets everywhere. Mm. Like we show up to church, and there's just mm. you know from the night before, I guess they had had an event 
promoting mm. their stuff and so mm. that was pretty funny you know oh, sure. um, well, little expo <laughs> yeah yeah all the guys thought it was funny to throw a bunch in my backpack so that was hilarious <laughs> and um it was funny because people were drink and yeah. you know it actually kind of became more of a comfortable spot for a lot of people because they could drink there and at the time you could still smoke in bars in the south yeah and so yeah, it was like, you know, smoking and drinking and preaching. It was really uh... <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about God. So, yeah, yeah. So so in those days, uh, I really did not know how far back you went. I know you from Brooklyn days, but uh, did you get blowback from uh, others in the Christian community saying, whoa, what are you doing here? Yeah. I mean, but mostly we got people who were like excited about it. The fact yeah. that we were there. Yeah you know, because they thought that that would be impossible for some reason. But we had built so many good friendships and became a part of the community. And the idea was, is not to be a community. The idea was, is to be part of the community in this, in, in the town. So in, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. so we wanted to just be part of the community. So not everybody who was a part of revolution ever attended a service. Even, you know, we, mm-hmm. we knew people just through relationships and friendships and, and hanging out hung out in the bar enough so that somebody heard we needed a place, you know what I mean? So it was just being a part of the community was for us, the important thing was, and I think that was probably if I ever had to reach a level of what I felt like the church really should be, those Atlanta years were pretty close to it, you know, as far as like we were part of a community and uh, it seemed like everybody else around us was trying to build communities in their church and put coffee shops in their church and put this thing in their church and get everybody to be in their church and our thing was, is we never had a permanent space. So it was just always like, how can we be a part of the community and what can we do to, you know, encourage them? That's a pretty cool idea is thinking about it, not in terms of creating an artificial space, but using the space and the community that's already there. It, it reminds me a little bit of what Alicia Crosby was saying here the other day, that the difference between curating space versus creating space, because yeah. space is already there. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. Yeah. Well, to, and so here in Minneapolis, you've been there, like I said, for the last seven years, and you've got this yeah. church. So of your community that you've built there, the majority you said are online. You yes. have some folks that uh, show up as well. How do you work a ministry like that? What's that? What's that look like? Well, I mean, what, well, first of all, I'm assuming do you do you worship on Sundays or or what? Yeah, we meet on Sundays. Yep. Um, we don't have music; it's mm-hmm. just me talking, and then we do a Q and A afterwards. We call it Afterglow, you know. But it's kind of a time where people can discuss the talk and push back if they need to, or talk about whatever's going on. And so you actually engage and want people to have this conversation about what you've just uh, brought up and discussed? Yeah, we do that. And then we do a Facebook Live as well. And so people put questions and stuff in the comments, and we'll read from those at the end as well. And so that all goes out on the podcast. We also do this thing because we realize we have such a, a huge congregation online is that we do this thing called Meet Your Congregation, mm, and it's a podcast uh-huh. And we put it on with the other sermons. And what we do is me and Caleb, who helps me run the church, we uh, interview members of the congregation and talk to them about what they do and where they live and uh, what they think about the church and what they think we could change about the church and try to create a community as much as you can digitally. Then people can share their links and their Twitter handles and their Instagram handles and people can kind of get to know each other. Sure. So I'm curious in this, because it's really a fascinating concept. How do you handle the major life events? Is there a baptism inside your church? (laughs) No, we don't have a baptismal. Um, I don't think I've done a baptism since I've lived in Minnesota. Wow. 
Water's um, really cold there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Water is very cold here. Right on. Okay. I like that. But also, how do you uh, minister to people that want to get hitched or, you know, when we leave this uh, existence? How does that work? Um, well, I went through a divorce last year. Mm-hmm. And it was really tough, and I had a mental breakdown, and it was really hard. And so I haven't done any weddings since yep. then. Yeah. Just telling folks like I just don't feel comfortable right now doing that. Right. But prior to that, you know, I come to someone's church or you know a place they rent and show up and and do a wedding there. And I don't do marriage counseling. I I actually ask people to go to people who are certified counselors or therapists. What a concept, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have all the answers. And I've been married twice now, so I honestly don't have the answers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's something I, you know, I take pretty seriously. So, you know, and when you do funerals or things like that, you know, you're usually going to the gravesite or. Or whatever they might be doing for a celebration of life. This time in in which we live, people have gotten very creative very quickly on how to uh, honor the dead. And funeral parlors, as we called them, uh, are, you know, they still exist, but people find different ways to celebrate their life. Uh, One would argue that. awesome. Which it is, exactly. I remember recently uh, hearing one of our own priests, Kelly and I, are members of the congregation inside the cathedral there. He was actually lamenting a bit about how we've changed the morning of somebody's death and that we've changed it into the celebration of life and that there's something that we as humans actually need to go through the process of mourning and grieving. And I was like, okay, I, I get where he was going, but... I must admit, I like doing the celebration of life a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't follow in that vein. And I think this is uh, the evolution of us in our cult, in our culture currently. But, you know, again, what you're doing is really kind of radical, you know, when you're uh, bringing together a, uh, a community that's uh, virtually online. And how do you handle major life events? Yeah, no, it's it's tough. It's it's amazing, like, the conversations I have just on, like, direct messages, like on Instagram now, especially, it seems to be where I have most of my conversations. You know, we've talked with people through the process that we're creating the, this program. I've talked with people who have a hard time in churches or religious spaces where they can't talk back because it's been one-way yeah. conversation yeah. for yeah. a couple thousand years. That's great to hear that you're fostering that. Yeah, I mean, we've even had, like, I had a friend of ours who came who's an atheist, and she pushed back pretty hard at the end of my talk, and it was a pretty frilly, like, gracie talk. It was, like, I was surprised that there was even any pushback, but I was like, hey, you know, Afterwards, I was, you know, I was like, listen, why don't you just come and talk to this church? You know, why don't we just book you to come speak and talk about how you lost your faith and what that means to you and what you're doing with it now? And and so she did that. And that was pretty great. And I think we actually had our biggest crowd that week because all our friends came. And, yeah, it was pretty cool. Wait, a church invited somebody to come and talk about how they lost their faith. Oh, yeah. That's fascinating. (laughs) And I mean, it's and it's. I mean, it's wonderful in that it actually it's embracing the fullness of our human experience and creating space for it. Yep. Yeah, yeah because I you mean, honor her as an individual. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jay, there. No, you no, keep no. Going, keep going. Keep going. No, I mean, but we're just all, you know, we're all struggling. We all have doubts. There's times where, like, you know, if this wasn't my job, maybe I would move on from my own faith. You know, it's it's I have my own doubts, my own struggles, and I, I try to be as transparent as possible with the congregation and people online and my friends and i just don't the old model of just pretending that we have certainty or being addicted to certainty (laughs) Uh or 
Yeah. Yeah. It just never, never worked for me. Yeah. It seems like you are a one that's always sought out authenticity in your own way. And you, like you said, you just mentioned the fact that you've had to go through a couple of bumps, shall we say. And I would assume that was public with your congregation, right? Yes, it was. It was very, and it was tough because I didn't, you know, I don't have a staff, so I didn't have a lot of people to fill in for me. So I was kind of coming in raw. There was day I showed up and said, I don't have anything for you. Or Easter, you know, when I spoke, I talked about Jesus's doubt at the the garden and and then Mm -hmm. Jesus is being forsaken on the cross. And I said, you know, I don't have any room for resurrection in my faith today. And, you know, I'm I'm sorry if that's what you came expecting, but I just don't feel the resurrection right now. Right now, I feel more abandoned Mm -hmm. by God than than embraced by God. And Mm -hmm. um, and I relate to the cross right now. So that's where we went with it. How does your congregation respond to that kind of openness. So for so long, you know, so many people come to church expecting a certain model of pastorhood. How do they respond to that kind of openness and humanity? We respond pretty well. I mean, Minnesota has been really tough, to be honest with you, to do have a church here. It's really hard to get people to come out because there's so many different denominations, so many different types of churches. There's no real one spot where the community hangs out. And because of the winter, you know, people spend time at home and then during the summer, they all go to their cabins. So it's a really interesting reality that I'm trying to still figure out. I have kids here, so um, that's the main reason I'm staying in Minneapolis. Sure. But it's it's tough. But the, the congregation, people really respond well. As some of the folks I've done with the um, Meet Your Congregation online have only been, you know, a few of them have only been listening for the past year, which has been really strange. And I've like, oh my gosh, why would you, you know, this has probably been the worst year ever to listen. <laughs> and, you know, all of them have said like, it's the authenticity just, and yeah. the genuineness that continues to bring them back. Yep. So, yep. and what they needed at the time. And, you know, maybe they were going through the same thing. You know, I didn't go to seminary. I'm all self-taught. I bought, you know, all my own theology books and philosophy books and did all my own studying, you know, so I never really, I mean, besides growing up in church, I never really had a model or a way to, was never professionally trained on how to build a church. So I just do it the way I know how to do it. And authenticity is my gift. You know, I, I, and I'm not saying that pastors who are like theologians and philosophers aren't inauthentic because I think they are authentic, you know, to their work. And I think that's brilliant. I just use the best tools that I have. No, without a doubt. You, um, Jay, you bring up a very true aspect. Uh, when we started Radical Love Live, Kelly and I are not of seminary either. We are just practitioners. Kelly has never walked away from his faith that I am aware of. I did for many nice. decades and came back through crisis, and I'm glad I am where I am in this space. But this has also empowered me to do what we do here at Radical Love Live and why we created it in the first place, to explore spirituality outside of the boxes. With that said, we invite and open the conversation up to theologians and people that come from church and, and individuals that are quite honestly, not schooled like folks are in seminary. So we are like you in that sense. Part of my strength of doing what I do is because I'm authentic and and vulnerable because I've learned to be that way through my own pain. Um, That's, I think, part of the human condition, unfortunately, is that authenticity and vulnerability only comes through crisis. That's just my sense on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I've had a few of those. So. But now that you share that, and it goes back to why you said you're surprised in the last year that people were 
part of that while you were going through uh, those bumps. They saw they saw your humanity out on full display, which is uh, isn't that what it's all about ultimately? Yeah, I mean, I think so. But, you know, I also have friends who do really incredible work with philosophy and theology, and they keep their work and their personal life separate to a certain extent. And, and, and their work is some of their work that's changed mine, you know. But what I've been able to do is take people's work like that and use it how I can use it and maybe simplify it or find a way how I can make it authentic for me or what it what it's doing for me personally and basically almost be like, it's almost like a testimony to their work and at the same time helping continue their work and, and just a, with a different view or a different angle. Absolutely. So who do you lean on as uh, inspiration? You said that you self-taught. What books were you buying and from whom was it? like? Oh, man, I was it was awful books I was buying at first. I was just going to the Family Christian Bookstore. Oh. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, do you have anything on Greek and Hebrew? Do you have anything on biblical history? You know, oh, yeah, we have it over here. And so that's where I started. And those books led to other books, and then I started going online and finding books and talking to other people, and I got to know people like Brian McLaren and you know, and Brendan Manning uh-huh. and Tony Jones. Yeah. This was back in the Emergent Church days when we were all doing that. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, so I got to know some of those guys. And now, you know, I mean, the person I lean on the most now personally is probably Peter Rollins, who's my best friend, and he's a philosopher and uh, author. And I I don't have a closer person in my life than Pete Rollins. Also, people like Martin Luther King Jr. um, Never met him, obviously. Um, Yeah, a little gap in time there. Yeah, (laughs) my time machine. And um, no, (laughs) I've read, you know, a lot of his writings and his works and listened to a lot of his talks and um, i even have some on like record you know on vinyl and and it really like inspired me to be the person i am you know and working with like i worked with soul force probably 10 years ago that does a lot of stuff with lgbtq quality rights and so i don't know i mean just finding things but i just had to search it out at first you know sometimes i mean i would read anybody's commentary it's so funny um i met jimmy swaggart's son once and he asked me what my favorite book in the Bible was, and it was still Galatians, still is Galatians. Mm. And he sent me his dad's commentary on Galatians, oh, you know, wow. signed wow. like to Jamie. I hope you enjoy it. You know, wow. we have a really weird history, yeah, but you can find gems in these places. I mean, Luther's commentary on Galatians is freaking phenomenal, even though I probably don't subscribe to a lot of his theology as much as I used to. But yeah, so, you know, you just kind of, I just started finding these books and I know Amazon's probably bad, but I did find a lot of stuff through Amazon and <laughs> through different stuff like that. And, and then just reading other authors who put footnotes and stuff and, and, and finding out what they were reading and, yeah. and going back to that, too, as yeah. well. So That's awesome. Do, do you find any inspiration in, in wisdom from other traditions or people from you know, writers and thinkers from other faith traditions. Well, Malcolm X is, is huge for me. I think wow. he's mm-hmm. he's incredible. I think he's very much a Christ-like figure to me, especially because he was a part of this huge body and this huge faith. And then when he changed and said, no, I think it has to be more inclusive, um, he was killed. And so I see a lineup there with, with him and with his faith. And, you know, I, I've read some Buddhist text and everything, but I, I've kind of been more honed back into trying to see Christianity in a more of a radical way of thinking, more through a philosophical lens. So it's kind of the tradition I have. I, I'm definitely open to, to hearing from 
people of different faiths and, and discussing what they believe in things. But right now, I've just felt like this is the tool that I, I, I best have to work with. But I get inspiration from a lot of different places, yeah. mostly outside of religion. Not to put you on spot, but uh, it's kind of one of those uh, yes-no questions. Do, do you consider yourself Christian? It's <laughs> funny you said it's a yes or no question. I'm going to go like, I, 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 <laughs> yes and no. Uh, yes and no. Uh, it's your a choice. yes and uh, no question. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I'm probably a traditional Christian in mm-hmm. the sense of the word, especially the American sense of the word. Ah, uh, just... okay. That's fine. You're allowed to define. So that's fine. Yeah. Go on. Keep going. You know, Keep so going. it's like, yeah. well, it's like, uh, I just did a, you know, the ask me anything on Reddit. Mm-hmm. For this thing I do called Loosen the Bible Belt, where we go on tour, me and this uh, lesbian comedian, I'm the Christian, she's not. And then we have a few other people. We go on tour down south and talk. <laughs> I know I not of this. I'll have tells... to look this up. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been following she, you guys I, on Instagram. I, I preach and she stuff. tells dirty jokes. I it's love really... it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's it's pretty amazing. It's called Loosen the Bible Belt. And okay. we do a podcast as well now. So, um yeah, so Kristen's pretty amazing, and we work together, and I don't know why I started to tell you. Oh, because of my belief system, right? So anyway, we're doing this, Q, this Q&A thing on, on Reddit, and someone was trying to corner me on who Jesus was and who God was. And <laughs> I was just like, well, you know, it's hard. You know, is Jesus the son of God? And I'm just like, well, I, the problem for me is defining God. Um, is God the ground of being, like Paul Tillich says? Right. Or the unconditional, like um, John Caputo says? Yep. You know, what is God? And then, you know, even if you subscribe to those ideas, then what are those ideas actually stating and, and what are they saying God is and, and God isn't? And so then you have to go into, OK, then what is the son of God? If God's not the man in the sky with this like consciousness going like I'm going to make a son and I'm going to put him on Earth and then he's going to, you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. so I just feel like it's a loaded question because I, I, I'm I'm working on it right now. Theologically, Okay, I'm probably not. Uh, what you call a confessional Christian. I, I, I have an issues with atonement theory. You know, I, I don't think, I don't see how uh, God of any sort of ground of being or man and sky, which I don't believe in, who creates everything and, and makes everything would need some blood. You know, just this doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense to me that that was the best understanding they had at the time uh, theologically. So am I a Christian or not? I don't know. I, I if, Following the example of Jesus and teaching from the the Bible and, and especially being Paul, I'm very Paulinian. If that's a Christian, then yes, I'm a Christian. Okay. But it's not even a question where I'm like, well, no, I'm not a conservative Christian. I'm a liberal. You know, it's not that. It's not, it's not, I'm not that kind I, of Christian. <laughs> I wish, you know, I'm not even able to say that anymore. And honestly, it's due to reading a lot of philosophy, too. Right. And being being someone who's not trained in the school of philosophy and now going like, Oh man, I've got a lot of questions and I'm working this out and I'm just trying to figure out what it is. And so, you know, I, I live in a, I live in the tension and I welcome people to live in that tension with me. I think the more I study uh, that harder that question gets, but also the more secure I feel in my work. And, um, yeah, I wish that was just a yes or no question. No, I love honestly, I wish it was. Thank you for answering that so well. It's, there's a reason why I asked that. Yes, it is a loaded question, but not to put you on the spot. It's somebody that I think about that would listen to this very conversation and hear how you 
answered that and not through struggle, but really that it's not so simple. And yet we live in a world where we like everything in containers and we want it to be black or white or yes or no or true or false or all the dualisms that we could possibly apply. We love wrapped packages with nice, pretty bows. And spirituality is probably one of the least nice pretty packages <laughs> possible. The human condition I mean, of that is yeah. a, it's messy and it's, it's a beautiful mess. It's a beautiful, so. yeah, but it's a hot it's mess. Like, yeah. Messy Spirituality by Mike Iaconelli is one of my favorite books. There you yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because when over Christmas, I had the kids this Christmas, so I went to my sister's and she lives near my dad and so I went and saw my dad and we're very different. My dad's very conservative and very evangelical and yes. we were having a conversation and at one point i i said you know that i might be more of a christian than anybody in this room right now <laughs> and um, yeah because he because i was talking about you know he was talking about calling and i was saying i feel haunted and he's like well you should have a calling and i'm like well maybe this is semantics hmm. you know and wow. i wasn't trying to be judgmental like mean i was just trying to say that you know that my faith is open in my hands i just don't hold on. i can't grasp it anymore it's just faith it's just that which i'm haunted by that i can't stop speaking of or thinking of you know wow. is something that pursues me and i'm and that's what i meant by it i wasn't trying to be like i'm a better christian like i either do this or that and he goes and he said you might be right son wow hear it here for and so that says a lot because yeah. you know while we haven't mentioned your dad i think a lot of people uh, who know you, who know who your father is. So well, and people beg me to throw him under the bus constantly because of what he says and what he preaches and things like that. And yeah, I've just realized buckets. and the buckets and the food buckets yeah. and the Trump coins and um, you know silver yeah. solution, yep. you know all this stuff. And yep. honestly, if I throw him under the bus, I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with him. And We've forgotten how to have conversations and how to argue well in this world, and I want to do that. And I feel like Martin Luther King did a very amazing roadmap for doing that. Can you enlighten us a little bit? Because, yeah, absolutely. I'm not looking to, you know, exploit your relationship with your father, but clearly you you do sound like you are coming at completely different theological points of view. And how does that work? And how do you hold that tension and and that, that relationship? Because quite honestly, I look to learn something from this because I have people in my family. I disagree with it. I can't do that so well with. So, well, when you look at people in the civil rights movement, like Martin Luther King and Senator John Lewis, who marched with King, you just did the prayer breakfast and when he did the prayer breakfast, uh, he called in because he's got stage four cancer. And um, he talked about loving your enemies and, and the importance of that. And the thing is, the reality with, with Lewis and King and people like that is they were beaten. Their heads were beaten in. They were bloody. You can you can Google it right now and see pictures. You can see pictures of King laying dead on a balcony. Um, their friends were murdered. When, when you watch, there was a movie done on King uh, few years ago and it ends with this great speech and then all of a sudden the clips of the movie start showing different people in the audience this person was killed on the way back from this talk when they were pulled over by a southern police officer these people were you know and king was always like these people are not the enemies misinformation is the enemy love is the only force capable of turning my enemy into a friend Nonviolence is a pretty powerful tool and so i took that to heart and maybe i'm an idiot i don't know but I took that to heart, and so I take that to heart when I sit down even with my own father, 
And I also see that my grandkids don't want to talk to my dad about theology or Jesus, you know, even though he might want to, you know, they play on the ground with toys, you know, and it might be a Jesus figure or something silly like that, but they, you know, whatever, when they put on pajamas and run around the house and eat food and, and see their grandfather, you know, once a year, maybe if they're lucky, you know, maybe twice. And, um, I want them to know their granddad, you know, they know their granddad on the other side of my wife's family and their grandmother, you know, and and my mom's gone. So I want them to have that experience too. I mean, maybe with that whole scripture about love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, maybe that's true. Um, (laughs) But I don't know how many people who tell me because of this culture that we're in this kind of woke culture where we're like, well, that's Mm. triggering and that hurts me and that makes Mm. me mad. That makes me uncomfortable. Mm. You know, I'm not saying there's not time to heal because I think there is time to heal. But if you truly want to change things, you have to go back. You have to go in. You have to speak up. And if you take that chance of wanting to make a change and change people's hearts and minds, that is going to hurt you. Loving people, there's a reason why love never gives up, never loses hope, is always faithful, endures through every circumstance, as Paul says. is because Paul was being beaten because he loved people, because he wanted to do these yeah. churches. I mean, he was being physically beaten. So, I mean, sometimes we think like, oh, I just get such a lashing on Twitter. And I think mental health pain is horrible. <laughs> Sorry. <You know? laughs> Twitter lashing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, but Aww. I'm just saying, you know, it's like, oh, and that Twitter thing really got me down. You know, I'm like, what about being dragged through a city, you know, and left out front hoping that you were dead? You know what I mean? Or what about being beaten, clubbed by police officers when all you wanted to do is the right to sit at a, a, a freaking counter at, you know, at a restaurant to eat? But these guys change things. And so when when the senator was asking everybody to love their enemies, it wasn't this, these empty words. You know, when he's asking Trump, love your enemies. And I think Trump made a joke where like he's like, I'm trying to, you know, but yeah. when he's challenging people to do this and these guys are saying this these are people who really did it they weren't only triggered they had to go to loving their enemies literally sent them to the hospital and a lot of them to their grave so that inspires me you know so maybe i'm a martin luther kingist i don't know you know i i just i think it's possible to change things but that's the thing too is you have to make that decision i know it's hard for people i know people are really hard and, and, and they're really hurt and there's a lot of pain but my hope and my purpose is I don't want other people to feel the same pain that I went through or go through that same hurt or at least learn how to channel it in a productive way because somebody stayed in the ELCA which is the Evangelical Lutheran Association some LGBTQ people stayed there when they weren't welcomed and now they're welcomed so I I know that's it's it's a big task and not everybody's built for that task you know like it's just like life some people just want to have a nice house a picket fence and a good retirement fund so they can travel America, and that's what they want their life to be. And that's okay, but that's not what I want my life to be. That's wow. pretty powerful. I love that. And and I love – thank you for sharing these stories about your family. It's definitely – you know, a lot of people that we talk to are at odds with people in their family, and it's tied up with religion and politics yep. and all the things that divide us. And it's great to see – you know, obviously you're in a, more of a public light than – some families and you come i see on online on twitter you come to your dad's defense and it's it's lovely to see that love is transcending those differences well and i don't think what people know what it was like to sit through with my dad visiting my dad for about five years in prison Prison, right yeah and watching none of his friends be around you know Mm. and then watching 
all of a sudden when he gets out of prison watching the conservative evangelicals like um, Franklin Graham give my dad a house and a car to drive. You know, I mean, Franklin Graham, me and him never liked each other, even back then, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> we were both good judges of character, I guess. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's the fact. Those are the people who did the embracing and the restoring. It wasn't the progressives or the liberals. You know, we both sides write each other off too much. And I think the problem is, is with conservatives, when the scandal hits, they disappear and then they wait for the smoke to clear. And I found that, you know, I ran to the, the left of the church, the, the progressive church for my hope and safe. But what I've realized is often there's such a memory in the progressives minds of the hurt that that person is never, ever restored. There's no even smoke clearing. And I think that's something that I've just recently come to realize. And that's really hard for me because I really believe in the progressive church. But I also think the progressive church doesn't believe that it can heal people or that it can restore them on a bigger level. And I think that's a huge mistake. I think the progressive church would, would change more. Um, another example is like with a guy who wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, you know, mm -hmm. and then he just came out and denounced the book. And, and a lot of people and a lot of progressives were like, it's too late. You know, you've already damaged you so many lives with your yeah, purity you've culture so nonsense. Many, right. And so you shouldn't have done that. And I was going like, wait a second. Now, if you're in a bad relationship and someone comes back to you and says, you know, I'm sorry, I did all this stuff. And you go, yeah, it's too late. That's a relationship, you know, you know, especially a romantic relationship. But if you're trying to create a movement or a religion that is based on the ideas of forgiveness, that's not the best way to go about it. Is not to forgive. When someone comes back and repents and you can't forgive them, then we've missed it. You know, yeah, you can be cautious and you can even love from afar. But to say, oh, it's too late, you know, that just theology, that's just bad theology. It doesn't line up. It's not a way to start a movement. You know, if I'm going to meet with churches and pastors who are anti-gay, which I was doing for quite a few years and saying, you know, I want you to change how you think. And, and we want you to include people and we want you to get rid of the, the whole like reparative therapy thing in their church. And then when they did it, we went, oh, you know what? You should have done that two months ago. That is too late. Forget it. We don't want you to be a part of the movement anymore. OK, so that let's talk about no that. Sense. That wouldn't. Um, can you spend on that a little bit? Um, because you, you're getting right into that forgiveness. Yeah. We don't talk about that word enough. So no. why have you been passionate about working with folks, you know, you, you yourself, you know, somebody that's hetero, I assume, yes. And, yeah, yeah, you're right. right. So w what was it? Did you have friends, family members? What? Yes, what? yeah, I did. I had friends, yeah. and yeah. and um, I, I was always a grace pastor, you know, and talking about grace and unconditional love and and really drawn to that. And times were changing, in the especially in the late 90s and early 2000s, and everybody was asking these questions, and I mean, honestly, when I first came to the conclusion that I didn't feel like LGBTQ stuff was a was a sin, as actually I just went real literal and studied like what God's Paul was talking about in Romans, what stuff the Old Testament was. And I tried to, you know, just go into extremely hardcore contexts of like, OK, if I'm reading this like a literalist, then OK, is this there? And then realizing like a lot of concepts of sexuality, you know, that we get from Freud and things like that weren't in existence. And so I came to my conclusion at that point, like this isn't in the Bible. <laughs> what we understand mm -hmm. is two people being in love, the same sex, same gender, whatever, is not in the Bible. Paul's talking about prostitution and child molestation and 
a very particular type of sexuality that was like you could not be you could only be the giver not the receiver you know i mean like all this really bizarre stuff and so you know hammered that out so i always tell my literalist friends i'm like you actually have more of a reason to be lgbtqia affirming than most you know if you've actually wanted to read your the book you're reading the collection of books you're reading within their context and historical context you can have that but most people don't want to take that journey or that ride yeah i was wondering Um, how that goes over in some of those conversations yeah and 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 because we become enslaved to tradition enslaved to dead people's thoughts um (laughs) wow that's a powerful phrase yeah it's peer pressure from the dead um (laughs) It, it's, 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 we fall into it too often. I, I don't think I was the first person to say it. I'm definitely not the first person to say that. I know I got that somewhere else, but I don't remember who it was. But, you know, seeing my mom's work with, uh, you know, back in 1985, she did an interview when I was 10 years old with a gay pastor who had AIDS on national television. And uh, I remember as a kid thinking, like, she's not supposed to do that. And she did it anyway. Wow. And something sparked. And I, that stuck in my memory. And my parents were always preaching to me about, not preaching to me, but always telling, because didn't, we didn't do Bible studies or things like that at home. We had a, probably more of a secular home than most people would even believe. But that's what is so strange why my dad's so conservative now, because back then he was not very conservative. And people don't realize that either, because um, mm-hmm. no. they don't have the memory or they're just too young to remember. Yeah. And they just have a selective memory. Well, that, it's true. Um, I, I, I actually remember your folks not being so conservative and... So just very quickly, uh, what changed with your dad? What happened? Yeah, uh, I think, like I said before, is I think it was just some of the folks who kind of welcomed him back into life. Yeah, you know, when he got out of prison, you know, I think he just started hanging out with more conservative people. So that became his formation. Yeah, yeah, and what was weird is when he came out of prison, he was still pretty liberal, and he was a Clinton voter, and he couldn't vote, but he was big into Bill Clinton and everything. And I just watched him slowly kind of go into the conservative. Which I just don't—I don't honestly know what happened. I—I uh, I would maybe should talk to him about it one day if we have time. But yeah. I don't know what happened there. But yeah, so but my parents, my dad wouldn't join the Christian Coalition in the '80s. You know, I mean that's the thing mm-hmm. is people don't realize is like you know he had all this pressure put on him by Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell and I'll join this. And my dad was like, no, was, I don't feel like this type of politics belongs in in the faith. And that's really odd where he is now to then, but still. Those are things people don't remember. And, right. you know, I've, I've tried to stop being an apologist for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a film coming out at the end of the year. and uh, Elton John's doing a musical based on my mom. And so maybe some, some of that stuff will come out there. Those seem to be folks who are find it interesting that everything isn't black and white. Are you, are, <laughs> um, are you, are you involved with either of those projects? No, I mean, I've on? spoken with the actors of the movie a little bit, but I have uh, not had a lot of. But I mean, after talking to them, I was pretty amazed. I mean, Jessica Chastain is playing my mom. Really? Yeah, she had more of an understanding of history about my mother's life than I did. I mean, she was like, "What do you think it was when your mom was little and she was in the group and she was living in this part of Minnesota and it was that her aunt didn't feel this way?" And I'm going like, "Holy moly! Wait a second! (laughs) I didn't know that." Is that on Wikipedia? (laughs) Yeah, it's not on Wikipedia. I don't know where she like. She's like, I mean, that's why she's probably won so many awards as an actress is because she actually. Yeah, she did Yeah, she Yeah, so I was really blown away by that. Right, right. And I was able to tell her some things that she didn't know, and, and it was interesting. But, and I'm trying to get in contact with some of the the folks from the musical. But yeah, so 
I'm sorry. I kind of took you down a uh, a path there about your dad for a quick I go down rabbit holes. No, no, no. And I apologize for doing that because you were just about to talk about your 10 year old uh, self, your mom's uh, interview with the uh, gay pastor. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, kind of finish that out a little bit. Yeah, I just got to do an interview with him for the Loose in the Bible Belt. He lived, he survived, and he's actually in science books. He's considered an anomaly um, in churches. He's considered a miracle. People weren't surviving in 1985 of AIDS. No, oh. they were not. And people forget the stigma that was around uh, gay men in the 80s. I mean, it was just, it was horrid, horrid, horrid. Yeah. They ended up doing the interview over a satellite because they were going to fly them there, but then they realized all the workers at PTL and stuff were, were scared of someone with, being, someone with AIDS being there. Wow. Everybody was, you know, you didn't know if you got it through saliva or, you know, no one knew what was going on. So anyhow, seeing things like that, seeing my parents always showing compassion and love, especially behind the scenes, kind of made me an idealist in a certain way when it comes to showing grace. You know, and, and then I remember one day I was I was outside having coffee, doing the study and one of my friends who was a lesbian, she came up to me and. She's like, so do you think it's a sin to be gay? And I'm like, well, it's funny that you asked me that because I'm doing the study and I've come up to think that, no, it's not a sin. And I'm like, you know, you can't choose how you feel about another person or you can't choose to be gay. or. And she goes, but what if it is a choice? What if I did choose to be a lesbian? Then what's the issue? And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah, I was like, oh, I wasn't ready for this one. Mm. And um, I don't know. It was just over time that so I, I came to that conclusion that I didn't feel like it was a sin. And at this point in my theology, if Paul did believe it was completely a sin, or if Paul showed up in a time machine and was like, no, Jay, it's a sin, I would say, well, I completely disagree with you. Because Paul himself said that God is no respecter of man, and no one has a corner on the truth. So I would say, no, this doesn't add up with what you said, because you said this, 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 and this, and you said this, this, and this. How does this handle this? You know, how does that make any sense? You know, is it physical versus, you know, spirit? What is it? You know, so... That actually probably cost me more than anything than having in bars or doing whatever was saying that I didn't think it was a sin because I had to lay off my I had like seven staff members and we had insurance and offices and all that disappeared within three or four months after I made that announcement. That's when I became aware of you, Jay, is when that okay. happened. Yeah, when you you took that stand being queer myself, well, I was like, wow, this guy is going way out there. And then you boof, it just blew up. Because of what yeah, you're taking your all my speaking engagements for the yeah. next year all got canceled. It was, yeah, yeah, you were riding Actually, high was, right there. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. yeah, it was. I was doing a lot of speaking and, you know, it had a book out and yeah. the time, and it, it was a good time for me to kind of recollect and move to New York and, and rethink how I do things. Yeah, absolutely. So we're kind of coming towards the end of the time. I'm going to ask you, this is going to be a big, broad question, so hang on. But uh, it's really one that I think goes to to the heart of what we're trying to do here at Radical Love Live. And that's if you had the power to change anything related to spirituality, what would you change? Gosh. I know. Big question. That is a huge question. Mm-hmm. Anything related to spirituality? Anything. If you could get your um, uh, your magic wand out, whatever. And you said, this has got to, to be changed. What would that be? I'm torn. I'm torn between the idea of getting rid of scapegoating altogether. Mm-hmm. would probably be the biggest one. Mm-hmm. If it was just Christianity, I'd probably take the pastoral epistles out of the Bible 
and maybe add a lead letter from the Birmingham jail <laughs> there. Whoa, yeah. that's my favorite but, thing of uh, of uh, King, by the way, is the Birmingham jail. If anybody wants to get yeah. some spirituality, go read that. Go read that. Yeah, I've actually been to the the cell, and and, mm. and, and it's pretty amazing. Amen. But um, amen. But maybe the scapegoating. I think that's clear with a lot of religions. You know, we're always blaming the other religion or the other denomination or the other person that we'd get rid of that. I mean, I just, you know, like going online and seeing Christians like like my progressive brothers and sisters say, if you voted for Trump, you're not a real Christian. And I'm going back, thinking back to the 90s, early 90s, when I was working at a Christian television station just doing camera work and hearing them say, you're not a real Christian if you voted for Trump. And at the time, I, I mean, I for, for Trump, voted for, um, for Clinton, yeah. yeah. And I remember... I wasn't old enough to vote, but I had been working on Clinton's campaign because <laughs> I was a pretty eager teenager and going like, oh, so I'm not a real Christian because I believe like this guy should be president rather than this guy. And um, I think we to see the left kind of turn around and do the same thing boggles my mind. I'm like, wow, because this really changed us. All it did is now we're all angry and sensitive and, 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 and boundaries and leaving the church in droves. Why are we returning the favor? Like, is there not a better way to think about this? You know, you can't say all, I saw some guy put up on a very popular guy too, say like all Trump voters who don't give a damn about women's rights. And I'm like, you know, I absolutely know that not to be, I know that that's not true. I know Trump supporters who are with poor women's rights. I know them. I'm a lifelong Democrat. Okay. I have never voted for a conservative, not even a judge. There was one Democrat that I probably shouldn't have voted for. Now I'm probably becoming more of an anarchist because I'm so disillusioned with the system and with the people in the system that I don't feel like either party really represents me. But this, the whole back to the scapegoating is this is a scapegoating that if the other side must be something wrong with them and there's nothing wrong with us or someone's all completely good or completely bad. Is It's just lazy thinking. <laughs> and um, we got to get away from that because it just doesn't help. It, it just destroys us. I mean, it's just... And it's not, I don't think it's thinking long-term, you know, what happens when then we finally get some president that, you know, everybody's okay with, you know, you're still the guy who told me I wasn't a Christian because I voted because I wanted my insurance not to change or something like that. You know, it's like <laughs> just simplifying people that I just, this simple thinking is, I don't know. I just don't want to become what I hate. You know, I don't want to become part of the problem. You know? And I, I want, I do not want Donald Trump in the white house by any means. But I think he's the problem. I can't say everybody who voted for him. I'm sure some of them are the problem, definitely. But I can't say that they all are. Wow. Well, those are some wise words, Jay. Thank you for, right. for that. You're um, welcome. As, as we're heading into the, the home stretch here, any projects that you're working on coming up that you want to tell our listeners uh, about? Well, I'm working on a couple projects. One I'm really excited about is uh, I'm going to be in Belfast in May, Northern Ireland. And my, my friend Pete Rollins does this event called Wake, mm -hmm. and he always has really interesting philosophers or psychoanalysts or different types of people from all different walks of life speak at this event and a lot of entertainment. And about 100 people show up. It's the heart of Belfast, and I love it. I mean, I, I, I've gone a few years, and last year I was just so depressed, and it really was one of those things that really helped heal me. And I'm not a big conference, Christian conference goer, and this is not that at all. So I went to that last year just to, just to, just to hang out. And so this year, me and Pete are planning on doing a talk this year. And, and I don't know if it'll be part of the event or pre the event called an American contradiction, where we're going to talk about my parents influence on American culture in the 1980s. Oh, wow. wow. 
Right on. And um, yeah, so I, that's that's something I'm really excited about. If there's any pastors or people listening who have like the budget to go places, because <laughs> I know most of us don't. Right. Go to Wake. Just go to PeterRollins.com and go to Wake and check it out because it's it's phenomenal. And and just skip all the other ones because you'll be really happy. <laughs> you will thank me at the end. You will thank me at the end. If not, you can you can uh, give me a Charlie horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so yeah, but me and Peter kind of taking the ideas of contradictions from Hegel and 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 putting them towards America's kind of love hate relationship with my parents in the eighties. Oh wow especially my mother. So it should be really interesting. Hmm. So that's a project I've got coming up that I'm really excited about. I'm also working with some friends right now and not sure what we're going to, how we're going to do it, but some friends who are filmmakers about doing a, a documentary based off of the talk that would be talking heads and, and people talking about my parents, uh, kind of an American contradiction kind of idea of why were they popular? What was it? Kind of, how did Tammy Faye kind of become a gay icon, you yeah. know, yeah. how did that all happen? And, and, but looking at the contradictions that lie within, and the great thing is, is then you realize that we all are con- have contradictions and even realizing we can't have that we have them does not get rid of them. It just helps us to embrace them and, and, and live a life with contradiction. Um, I also want to do, I really want to write a book on punk theology wow. and wow. the idea of how punk and theology what that looks like together and taking some of the principles out of the punk rock movement especially the uh, late 70s uh, yeah. era some and, what some uh, people would call real punk yeah, yeah you know you know punks evolved just like everything else sure but has. yeah but some of those some of those um maybe in the 80s too out of dc and things like yep. that but yep. kind yep. of how did those how does theology and philosophy work within that system that seemed to be create a pretty amazing system that that was very inclusive at a time you know especially in its earlier days um or would just completely reject the whole system and create its own totally were you which was oddly cohesive despite the being infused with anarchy yeah and then the other one is a documentary that i want to work on with my friends who are filmmakers and we're in we're hopefully going to do both of these is on a particular punk band which i don't want to really give away right now but another punk band that really was in danger constantly for their political beliefs and the fact that they just did not bow down to to a dualistic system that really was incredible and uh but they didn't get the the notice that everybody else did what was their country of origin can you tell us that (laughs) i'll say ireland but that's all i'm going to give you okay all right fair enough okay (laughs) and and most people have guessed by now uh if they have any punk history at all Uh Just don't tweet about it. Okay. Or I've heard any sermons I've given in the past few months. Or follow <laughs> me on Twitter. Right. It's not the world's best kept secret, but yeah. I just I haven't talked about the documentary though yet. Yeah. So okay. fair enough. And I'd like to also write a book on dealing with death and divorce and depression. Um, mm. So those are the things I've kind of been working through in my head, and just continue to focus on Twitter and Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm addicted to Instagram stories. I do like. 30 of them a day it's ridiculous and um you know just living life well we look forward to seeing those projects coming up and uh and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today this is really just such a refreshing conversation thank you i was glad to do it no absolutely jay it was a great conversation thanks much you're welcome thanks so much for listening to radical love live If you're a first-time listener or you'd like to hear more, you can listen to our podcast archive, including recordings of our live series, on most major podcast platforms. 
Your support is essential. If you like what you're hearing and appreciate the content of this program, please visit our website at radicallove.live to find out ways that you can help this project with your time and your resources. As always, we'd like to thank our supporters, including the Congregation of St. Savior, as well as the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. And we'd also like to thank the Episcopal Church Office of Communication for their continued support. Thanks for listening to Radical Love Live, where we explore spirituality outside the boxes.